Hey, faithful listener. Welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Hello, faithful listeners. My name is Jen. I am the host of the Bible Explained podcast, and I'm so excited that you're here to share a cup of coffee with me and to discuss scripture with me. So let's go ahead and read uh, Acts chapter four, because we are going to talk about the church and Christians giving. Now, shockingly, I've talked about giving in the past on the podcast, and I get some pushback actually from the Christian community about giving. So I'm going to challenge that today, and I'm going to talk about some statistics with the church and giving and other cool things like that. So let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 37 to the end of the chapter, and let's jump into this today. Being let go, they came to their own company and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, you are God. You made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth take a stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your counsel foreordained to happen. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were gathered together. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The multitude of those who believed were one heart and one soul. Not one of them claimed that anything of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was on them all. For neither was there among them any who lacked. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to each according as anyone had need. Joseph, by who the apostles also called Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of encouragement, a Levite, a man of Cyprus by race, having a field, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. First and foremost, Peter and John had just been arrested and held overnight by the Pharisees and also by the Sadducees and the elders of Israel. And then they went to trial. But the Pharisees, Sadducees and elders could find nothing to charge Peter and John with. And so they finally just let them go after threatening them with a whole lot of bullcrap, basically. And so Peter and John leave the Pharisees. And it says in verse 23, being let go, they came to their own company, meaning the Christian church, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and gave this beautiful prayer. So the early church heard about everything that went on with Peter and John, and their first response was to pray, which is absolutely amazing. And that should be our first response when we have any problem that comes our way. I don't know if you guys have noticed, 
I've noticed, but the podcast for the past like week has been a theme of prayer. So the first response of the early church was to pray and they give this absolute beautiful prayer. But notice that it says that they all prayed with one accord, meaning they were all on the same page, basically. So somebody gives this beautiful prayer. We don't know who it is. Maybe it was Peter. Maybe it was John. Maybe it was one of the other disciples. It could have been just an unnamed church member at the time. But somebody prays and they say, O Lord, you are God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. One thing I've noticed about the church now is that the church does not give enough glory to God for who God is, like how powerful he is. I've noticed that with our worship music. I've noticed that with our prayers. The prayers and the worship music in the Bible are so different from what we sing and what we pray today. For example, the prayers and the songs in scripture are always talking about like how holy and amazing God really is. Like how God is the maker of the sea and the skies and the heavens. And yes, there are still some people who pray these things and there still are some songs that talk about God's majesty. But I just noticed that it's a lot less than what scripture talks about, basically. And that's how this prayer begins. Oh, Lord, you are God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And then verse 25 says, who by the mouth of your servant, David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? So God spoke through David, this Psalm, and this is Psalm chapter two. And I'm actually going to head over to Psalm chapter two and read the first few verses for you. Verses one through six. And this is out of the NIV version because I don't feel like switching it over to the WEB. So it says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And here's the here's the best part of the psalm. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I really like this psalm. But what's cool is that this is God speaking. God is like, why do these nations conspire against me? What do these kings think they can do to me? They plot in vain. They think that they are so arrogant that they truly think and believe that they can dethrone me somehow. And God laughs at them. God is laughing at those kings who are plotting so much evil against God. Because every sin that we do, even though, yes, it can be against other people, it's ultimately against God. And these kings and these rulers and the, these presidents of the earth, they think that they are so high and mighty. They think that they can do something against God. But in actuality, they can do absolutely nothing. They can plot all they want, but ultimately they are plotting in complete vain and God is laughing at them. I think it's really interesting that God is laughing at them. The Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> and here's, here's the conclusion, actually, of this psalm. If you go down to verse 10, it says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment, 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is a powerful psalm. And it's a warning to every single leader, every single ruler, president, king, queen, whoever on this earth. Anybody who is a leader should take this psalm to heart because this is true stuff. God is up in heaven. He is ultimately in control. It says in Daniel that God is the one who sets kings up and he's the one who takes them down in the end. So God is ultimately in control of everything. So he's warning these leaders in this psalm. God himself is warning these leaders. He's saying, you better fear me because if you don't, it's going to end in destruction for you. It's not going to be a good day. You better kiss my son. I mean, think about that. Here in America, I don't know of a single politician that kisses the feet of Jesus. Like maybe there are some, (laughs) but all the ones you hear about are just these corrupt leaders that do nothing. Like when I, when I see the Psalm, I'm seeing what's going on today. Like in America, all these, you know, politicians just plotting things all the time. And there's so much corruption on so many levels. None of the politicians, very few of them anyway, are serving the Lord with fear. Very few of them are celebrating his rule with trembling. Very few of them are kissing his son. And God, in the end, he's laughing at these politicians right now. Currently, God is laughing at these politicians and they are going to see their end. But the early church prays this psalm. And do you know why they pray the psalm is because not only is it talking about now here in America, which I believe very much it is, but it's talking about the Pharisees and the rulers and the elders of the Israeli nation during the times of the early church. And these early Christians are praying the psalm because they're saying, God, you know, you're the one that's setting up these rulers. But ultimately, in the end, if they don't worship you, if they don't kiss your son, their Messiah, if they aren't good rulers, if they don't do what they are supposed to be doing, they will come to ruin. They're praying the psalm and they say, for truly both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel... They gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. And I'm sorry, that's verse 27 of Acts chapter 4. And it continues, to do whatever your hand and your counsel foreordained to happen. How about that? Look at that. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they all conspired together, right, to persecute, to torture, and to crucify Jesus, God's anointed son. But the the people of the early church recognized that that was what God ordained from the beginning was that Jesus was supposed to come down to earth to die and to be the sacrifice for everybody. So in the end, even though it was a very, very terrible thing and the disciples had a miserable few days when Jesus was uh, dying, it was miserable for them. They now see how good it was how glorifying it was for Jesus to be the sacrifice for all of humanity. And God ordained that. In other words, God was in control of literally everything and still is in control of everything. And yes, God sometimes allows evil things to happen. And he sometimes allows these terrible politicians and rulers and kings and whoever else to get their own way. But in the end, It's going to not only be turned around for the good 
of the people who love God, but it's going to cause the destruction of those leaders who are so adamantly against God. And the early church recognized this. So they say, God, because we are under these rulers who ultimately you're in control of, still though, give us the grace and give us the power to speak boldly in your name, even though we've been threatened by our rulers. So give us the grace and give us the courage to speak your name very boldly. And suddenly, once they're finished praying this prayer, it says that the ground began to shake. So God's presence was there. There's a verse in scripture that says that when two or more Christians are gathered together in Jesus's name, he is going to be in the middle of them. And so the entire early church is gathered here. So the earth begins to shake because of God's glorious presence being there. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they prayed exactly in God's will. And what they prayed for was granted to them. They were given like this supernatural boldness, basically, to speak truth amidst all this evil that was going on at this time period. And so this is what Christians should be praying for today, because there's a lot of evil going on around in our country, right? There's a ton of evil. We should be praying the same prayer. God, give us grace and give us a boldness to speak your truth in such a corrupt time period that we're living in right now. That should be our prayer because clearly that is in God's will because every single one of us are supposed to be evangelists and speakers of Jesus. So when you ask for that boldness to speak in the name of Jesus and to speak truth to power, <laughs> that's a buzzword now, a buzz phrase, speak truth to power. But when you ask for that, honestly, like God is going to help you. He's going to give you that because that is within God's will. So the, the ground was shaken, it says, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. But then it goes into a story of the early church. It says in verse 32 that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Not one of them claimed anything of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Okay, so once again, is this speaking about socialism? No. Is this speaking about communism? No. And here's why. It's because socialism and communism are forced on the people. But this was not forced on the people. They decided to do this with their own income, with their own wealth. They chose to give everything that they had. And it actually says here that not one of them claimed that anything of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. This means that every single member of the early church recognized that God had given them the things that they owned. This is how you and I should think now. Every single thing that you own has come from God. It's not of your own power that you have it. And you might be like, well, Jen, you know, I worked very hard to have what I have today. And yes, you did work very hard. But ultimately, it's God who gives wealth. Ultimately, it is God who helps you be healthy so that you can work. It's God who gives you the motivation to go to work. It's God who gives you the job that you have. Ultimately, everything that you have, your health, your wellness, your wealth, it's all from God because God gives everything that's good in your life. 
And the early church recognized this. Not one of them claimed that anything of the things which they possessed was his own. So they knew everything came from God. They had all things in common is what it says. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Great grace was on them all. I think that's a beautiful statement. Great grace was on them all. For neither was there any among them who lacked. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things which were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. Okay, so this is where I want to talk about giving. And I know I'm getting pretty long (laughs) here on this podcast. I noticed that the podcast episodes are getting longer and longer and longer. But I want to mention this article from Philanthropy roundtable.org. This is not a Christian organization, but the name of this article, which was written within the last three years, says, less God, less giving. Religion and generosity feed each other in fascinating ways. Okay, this entire article is talking about how people who are religiously affiliated are actually the people who give the most and who are the most generous with everything. Here's what it says. 45% of Americans who attend church weekly and pray daily did volunteer work in the past seven days, as compared to 27% of all other Americans. Let's see. In the past seven days, Americans who attend church weekly or pray daily, 65% of them gave to the poor by donating money, time, or goods as compared to 41% of other Americans. It also says that of all associational activity that takes place in the U.S., almost half is church-related, according to Harvard sociologist Robert Putnam. As a whole notes Tim Keller, secularism is not good for society. Secularism makes people very fragmented. They might talk about community, but they aren't sacrificing their own personal goals for community as religion requires you to do. It also says that philanthropic studies show that people with a religious affiliation give away several times as much every year as other Americans. Uh, I mean, this study just keeps going on and on and on. Here's what it says. In study after study, religious practice is the behavioral variable with the strongest and most consistent association with generous giving. And people with religious motivations don't give to just faith-based causes. They are also much likelier to give to secular causes than to the non or than the non-religious. Two-thirds of people who worship at least twice a month give to secular causes compared to less than half of non-attenders. It also notes that most charity is given away by religious people. It mentions that religious people are much more likely to adopt children than non-religious people. Faith-based organizations are at the forefront of both care and recovery for the homeless. 58% of emergency shelter beds are provided by religious providers, yada, yada, yada. I mean, this, this entire, there's so many studies here in this one article, which I am going to link the entire thing in the description of this podcast episode, because this is a non-Christian website where even they can't deny that religious people are much more likely to donate time and money than not religious people. But here's what this study says. 
Underlying this resistance to religion is an assumption that faith is not important to the functioning of our nation. It has little social value according to this view and may even be harmful to citizens and the republic in various ways. Rising numbers of Americans believe that religious activity can be stopped and pushed entirely into private sanctums without any public cost. Those Americans are mistaken. So even non-religious people can't deny how important religious people really are to the structure of America. And yet people are always trying to push Christians aside and be like, oh, you know, your ideologies are so dangerous. Well, if they're so dangerous, why in the heck are Christians the most generous people on the planet? It's because Christians are called to live in a totally different way. And the decline of Christianity, according to this secular website, is actually a problem for America. Because as Christians begin to decline, so is generosity going to decline. The other competing religion right now in the United States is the religion of self. And the religion of self says, whatever makes me happy is what's, you know, that's what I need to do. Why would the religion of self give anything? It ain't going to give anything. And that is what Christianity right now is competing with. It's competing with the religion of self. Christianity is the religion of denying oneself to follow after a master who is greater than you. And the early church got it here. They figured it out. They understood that they owned nothing of themselves, that everything they had was given to them by God. So if God was so generous to give to people, members of the early church, why shouldn't those members of the early church give to other people? And here's what they did. They sold their houses and their land. It actually says here that there was a guy named Barnabas who they renamed Barnabas. His real name was actually Joseph. They renamed him Barnabas because he gave so much that he became the son of encouragement, which is what Barnabas means. He was a Levite. He was a man of Cyprus by race. And he gave so much to the early church that they renamed him Barnabas. So the early church got it. And this is what our current church is supposed to emulate, because it says here that there was great power among the early church. It says that God's Holy Spirit and God's grace, great grace was being poured out on the early church. So why would any modern Christian now say that giving money is not what God calls us to do anymore? Why would anyone say that? That is a lie from Satan. Christians are supposed to be generous, not just with their time, but with their money. And there's actually another study that I read here from Christianity Today that actually says that only 5% of Christians that regularly go to church, only 5% of them give. That is appallingly sad. And that is not what God calls us to do. We are all supposed to give. It actually says in scripture that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. There is one time in scripture that God tells people to test him. Only one time. It is with your giving. God says, test me in this thing. Give generously and see what I do for you. So Christians, let's not do what the world is doing. The world is keeping all of their resources for themselves. The world is 
stingy. So let's give freely. Let's show other people that we are not like the world. And maybe we'll have more articles coming out like this one from secular people that say, wow, Christians are actually pretty great. We need more Christians in America, not less Christians, because Christians are the ones who give freely of their money, of their time, of their resources. They give. So why wouldn't we want more Christians here in America? Let's show the world through our giving what Christianity really is. All right, guys, so here's the challenge today, because there's always a challenge on the podcast. I recently read a book called Satisfied. And it was written by this pastor named Jeff Mannion. And it was a great book. I really, really liked it. Really highly recommend it. And it's basically all about being satisfied with what you've been given, but also giving generously of what you've been given. And one of the challenges in that book was to give 1% more than what you're currently giving. So if you're giving 0% of your income to the church, start by giving 1% of your income to the church. If you're giving 10% of your income, try to give 11% of your income. So faithful listeners, I do hope that today's podcast episode challenged you and uh, maybe brought you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And if you end up doing the challenge, which I recommend everyone does, contact me and let me know how the challenge goes for you in like a month or so after you've been giving a little bit more for a while. Faithful listeners, I hope to see you all tomorrow for an episode of Judges. We're going to be talking more about the judge Gideon and everything that he goes through to uh, to ask for God's help in battle. Alrighty, faithful listeners, happy listening and God bless.